Hero Waltz, with lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, music by Richard Rogers, and a book by Arthur Lawrence, adapted from his 1952 play, The Time of the Cuckoo, opened March 18, 1965, at the 46th Street Theater. Lauded at the time as the first and ultimately only teaming of Richard Rogers with Oscar Hammerstein's protege, the production suffered a famously troubled gestation with backstage troubles aplenty, mixed reviews, and a moderate run. Yet all these years later, it is revived more than we may be aware and regarded by some much better than it was originally. I see you and I hear a waltz. It's what I've been waiting for all my life to hear a waltz. You hear a waltz. Oh, my dear, don't you hear a waltz? Strangers are dancing now An old lady is waltzing in her flat Waltzing with her cat Roses are dancing with peonies Yes, it's true, can't you see? Everything suddenly Viennese Can't be you, must be me Do I hear a waltz? I want more than to I want you to share it cause Oh boy, do I hear a With us today is multi-award winning librettist and playwright Cheryl Coons, whose work includes the musicals River's End, Female Problems, Phantom of the Country Opera, At Wit's End, and Sylvia's Real Good Advice, which received the 1991 Jeff Award for Best New Work. Her songs have been performed at both Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center. She's on the National Council of the Dramatists Guild, and she teaches a series of classes on the works of Sondheim at Porchlight Music Theater. Celebrated actor and singer Anthony Cravillo, whose work on Broadway includes leading roles in Evita, The News, Les Miserables, Marie Christine, Golden Boy, and as Valentine in Kiss of the Spider Woman, for which he received the 1993 Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. In addition to his work on film and television, he portrayed Renato De Rossi in Do I Hear a Waltz at the Pasadena Playhouse in 2001. 
and actor and teacher Kelly Harrington, whose work in the Bridges of Madison County, The Light in the Piazza, and Aspects of Love have each earned her Jeff Awards for her leading performances, and who has appeared in the Sondheim musicals Sweeney Todd, A Little Night Music, Into the Woods, Passion, and as Leona Samish in Do I Hear a Waltz at the Music Theater Company in 2014. Welcome everyone to the round table. So delighted to thank have you, you here. This is a show uh, for me that I'm gonna have, I have an enormous disagreement with Mr. Sondheim in that I love it. And I think it's a wonderful production. And I know he has said quite the opposite uh, thing many times. Uh, I like to start where we all kind of first came to one of the productions. Where did Do I Hear Waltz come into each of our lives? For me, it was the original cast album, um, which I just was dazzled by because it was just the, the recordings of the, you know, the music portions, not the whole Megillah, which we come to realize later is where the problems start. Um, and then I had booked it in as a production at a, at a theater where I was artistic director. I left before we ended up doing the show. So I got to enjoy going back as an audience member and, and, and watching the production. So I have been able to, to see it. And that was the first time. How about each of the three of you? Uh, let's start with Sherry. Where, where did you first encounter Do I Hear a Waltz? I had to learn about it because I had to teach it. So uh, I'm I'm also someone that hasn't seen a production of the show. I haven't been so fortunate as to see it, but um, I have read it, um, listened to the cast album, and was um, surprised to uncover not only the um, the world of the show, but also the um, story behind the creation of the show, which is. Um, filled with big personalities. So I was excited about that aspect of it. Yeah. Kelly, how about you? Um, it was sad to say, I mean, I'm a teacher and I, I teach musical theater and my, my first exposure to the show was when I got asked to do it. <laughs> I got an email and someone said, hey, we want to do this show. I said, absolutely, sure, what is it? And so I had to uh, buckle down and uh, we did the show in two weeks. So. Uh, uh, crammed it and, and learned it. And um, it was it was a really interesting experience in retrospect. You know, while we were doing it, we were rushing through and, 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 uh, and putting it on its feet. But afterwards I was like, there is so much here to digest and to think through and to examine structurally um, that I would have loved to go back in time and, and, and had, had four months to work on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tony? Um, I was approached by David Lee, director David Lee, um, who was going to stage it at the Pasadena Playhouse. And um, we had several meetings and um, discussed doing it and, and, you know, sang the material for him and did a couple of scenes. And, and he said, yes, I would love you to do this for him. And, uh, and um, it was put up there. In a, in a wonderful production. And then uh, uh, subsequently, we, we actually did uh, one of the few uh, albums of, of uh, Do I Hear a Waltz that exists as well. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing, you know, the, the show had a troubled past um, coming into it. I know Arthur Lawrence and, and Sondheim um, decided at one point that there was work that could be done on the show and that they could fix certain problems, which I believe they addressed, you know, but it, there is, again, it was, um, it was a it was an audience pleaser. Um, it's a sweet um, uh, you know musical, 
and um, and in and it, it, it to this day there's a few um, the the um, the at the time young man who played my son Nino Del Prete um, he uh, we are still very very much in in contact he is a wonderful wonderful artist painter and and I mean in sculptor and all of that and and uh, and still remains an actor and voiceover talent and and so I still have some dear friends from that production to this day as well yeah. I will say, I mean, if we inspire anybody to learn a little bit more about this show, the cast album that you uh, made from that production is really invaluable. And it is it holds up every moment in comparison and even in many way betters, I think, the original cast album, because, of course, you know, so much more of the material was captured. But the performances were just astonishing on that cast album. And I highly recommend it. And it's it's uh, I looked forward and to getting it and was a little nervous of listening to it. I just kept thinking, oh my God, it's incredible. So let's let's talk about just this show itself. What 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 I think this is a show for me that has was a bit ahead of its time. I look at the subject matter of this show to, to break it down and, and say, this is a story of, uh, of a, an alcoholic leading character, this young single woman in as originally conceived contemporarily in 1965, uh, or well, actually going back to 1952 with the play because it's it's very similar, and feel yeah. that this was an incredibly progressive, adventurous uh, story and very surprising for for uh, even today's audiences. I think it would be to say that's going to be the, the your 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 lead character. Um, or does, or do you find it is has an old fashionedness to it? I mean, I find it to be very ahead of its time. Um, for me, it was uh, kind of a combination of both. I mean, you've got you know obviously the um, summertime that movie as well, and um, it is you when sixty five when it came out, you you had you had alcoholic characters on stage, but but not in a leading lady necessarily and and so you know and that uh, you know she leonis is the through line of the entire piece so you're following that that journey and she's also the thing uh, you know it's very very tricky in casting that character because she's she's so vulnerable um in in so many ways and you've got to that vulnerability and that that self-deprecating um, personality as well, you, you know that that's all contained as you as you go through and you meet these other couples that are there in the piazza, you know, in the uh, uh, pensione as well, um, you know, and they they are also reflected off of her interpretation of how she is seeing them as well. Yeah. So you know, it's a it's a that that character is such a key piece of casting for the show. Elizabeth Allen. Uh, in the show, plays the part of an American girl who finds herself in Italy. Uh, she's alone, she's attractive, but alone. And uh, one evening, she goes to the Piazza San Marco and uh, sits there with nobody to talk to. And she sings to herself. And the song she sings to herself, about herself, is called Here We Are Again. Here 
That's such a great point. And when you think about the lineage of Shirley Booth creating the character who uh, clearly multi-layered performance um, because of who she is as an actor and had just done Come Back Little Sheba and won the Tony Award for that and then had just done the film version and won the Oscar. So she, she was coming with a lot of that into that role to create it, but then followed by Katherine Hepburn. And then you get to Elizabeth Allen, who's this young, um, beautiful, uh, we were uh, just talking about her voice a few minutes ago, but this very bright Broadway voice projecting a lot of confidence, you know? And so how to, how to do the score and perform the, perform the score in the way that Richard Rogers wants to hear it and yet play those textures and levels you know, it would be a huge challenge. One of the problems uh, that we faced when we were planning it was the age of Leona. It had been cast originally with Shirley Booth and Catherine Hepburn, both of whom, by virtue of their age and quality, uh, made the emphasis on the story slightly that of a lady having her last chance at a romantic adventure. And we made the decision to cast this one younger. We have indeed a very attractive girl playing the part, which makes the problem a much subtler one, which is um, you wonder now, what is wrong with this girl? Why is she alone when she comes to Venice and she's so attractive and all that? How can she possibly have any problems? Well, that would stir the chivalrous instinct of every male in every audience, mm -hmm. don't you think? I think it very well might. But I think it helps point up the fact that we're not dealing with a problem of age at all but a, a problem of what Arthur calls the frozen emotions, which can happen at any age, and which indeed is the core of the play. There's and also I, a misconception. Mm. People think that uh, if you're good-looking and or rich, you have no problems. And unfortunately, it's far from being the truth. And I believe she was not the original the original choice as well, is that correct? I don't know if I know that. Um, you're gonna say, say well, again? 
Did you want Mary Martin? They wanted to write it for her, yeah. But but pre but, but they missed the timing on it because yeah, that was it, it was going to be Dick and Oscar. It was going to be Oscar doing the lyrics, right. and then uh, Oscar felt that it was too close to the film adaptation. But yeah. Kelly, and I believe you, at the time you also felt that Mary Martin was a little bit when they finally were going to production that she was a little bit too old right. for the role. Kelly, when you received the material, uh, not being familiar with this, and somebody saying, "Hey, this is a new, this is a Richard Rodgers musical from the 1960s," uh, what was your reaction when you opened it and then kind of read what this story was? How did you, as an actor, kind of receive that? Um. This this all has all has to be taken with a grain of salt because as I said we uh, we we uh, slam banged this onto its feet in two weeks and mm. so um, the kind of harkening back to what you were just talking about the on the page yes it's it's really striking you you're looking at this character who as a, as the leading lady in a musical has not been we have not seen someone like this before. Um, and so it is very progressive in that. And however, I feel as though um, she was written, a pro uh, hmm, this is hard to say, a progressive character who was written by men with not very progressive views. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so they had a, in listening to, in listening to or reading and listening to a lot of interviews, um, by from Lawrence and from Richard Rogers and from Sondheim, there's a there's a thinly veiled, if not veiled at all, disdain for the character throughout, mm -hmm. and um, it's really interesting to me because um, I feel like they were trying so hard to get this story on its feet, and in some in some iteration, and they want it, you know, Broadway show, and it's. If anything, it's a chamber musical. It's it's a small piece, and they forced it into, you know, oh, we need this number, and we need a that number, and we need a that number to change it to fill it out and make it something that it wasn't. So there was just so many things. It was just every wrong turn was taken to try and clear the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It was yeah. it was fascinating on the page. I was like, wait, I get to do what? Yeah, it's it, it was so unexpected yeah. for, you know, well, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly what you're saying. A, a musical written in the, in the 60s by Richard Rogers. I was thinking, OK, I know what I'm in for. Not at all. Right. And it was actually it was a glorious challenge. Uh, Leon is a very American person. She's a. A person who is. Emotionally rather frozen, finds it very difficult to release herself. Uh, and really fall in love and considers material things a proof of affection, which I think is uh, unfortunately rather American. Which really takes us to the fact that it's not so much a musical by Richard Rogers, but a play by Arthur Lawrence as, as the epicenter of all of this that was crafted for an actor like Shirley Booth, who had a great history of playing these sort of middle-aged, frowsy, tra tragic Midwestern characters. But Arthur Lawrence, I think, 
requires such a, a re-examination of his work as a playwright in the 1950s with, with plays like The Home of the Brave and A Clearing in the Woods and that he was writing these pieces for actors at the Actors Studio. And I, I think that his career took this you know, enormous turn once West Side Story arrived and then Gypsy that we forget about these incredibly complex plays that he wrote that could stand up next to Williams or Inge or anybody else who was writing uh, even late career Clifford Odets, you know, in the 50s. Um, and that's where we start is this very delicate little play which then, you know, I think Arthur Lorenz had said that he originally wanted to write as a musical from the very get-go, but um, it ended up becoming a play. But uh, Sherry, take us, since you teach, you know, t take us a little bit through about the, the, the birth pangs of the, 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 <laughs> the change from Time of the Cuckoo to a Do I Hear a Waltz? There's this incredibly uh, uncomfortable interview, which uh, Kelly, I, I know you may have watched it and maybe you saw it too, Tony, but it's uh, Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence and then the set designer who was Italian. Um, and it's just so painful because the, um, the first question that is asked by the interviewer is... What's the number one problem among the the many, that a playwright faces when he undertakes to convert his own work into a musical. Ego. His think, own. No, everybody's. I think that's one of the problems with doing a musical. It's collaboration. And you mentioned before staggering costs. I think the most expensive is the nervous energy of everybody involved. Uh, I think doing a musical is a kind of hell and uh, you just hope it'll be worthwhile at the end. There's a wonderful quote from, from Lawrence about, you know, Rogers had known Sondheim since Sondheim was the little kid that hung out at the Hammerstein's house. And um, what Lawrence says is he'd known Sondheim since probably only Sondheim thought they would ever be peers. So you have that imbalanced relationship. You have Rogers at a later point in his career questioning perhaps his ability to continue doing what he had done. He's also the producer and the composer. So he's a collaborator. Lawrence uh, on the previous show with Sondheim, Anyone Can Whistle, had been both the director and the book writer. And when you have people wearing multiple hats in collaboration, it can sort of outweigh you know, the, it can uh, create an imbalance in the team. And then you have the very close friendship and successful association between Arthur Lawrence and Stephen Sondheim. So you start with all this disequilibrium, some people very close to one another. Um, and then they decided to bring in a British director, John Dexter, who was really known as a classicist and an opera director, who was probably the wrong person in the room um, to begin with. Arthur Lawrence said it was my idea and it was a really bad idea. <laughs> so, and, and in a new work, especially when, when you go directly to Broadway and you're not opening it with any kind of out of town experience in a new work, you really need to all be cohesive um, and working together on the same show. And they clearly um, had different ideas from the start about what, what it was that they were creating. Mm -hmm. 
So that's part of the birth planning. <laughs> and what, what strikes me in a way that I think is an interesting challenge for actors approaching material like this is when you're doing a piece that has been created by great writers, but now Kelly and Tony, you get handed a script that is somewhat probably new to you because you've ne probably never had seen a production of this Richard Rogers musical, unlike coming to Carousel or, or Sound of Music where you're like, I have an idea what this is. Do you find, did you find it to be a challenge in the sense of going, I have no real knowledge of what this is. I'm sort of creating something new, but, but on the other hand, there's nobody here to help me ask, could, could this line be changed or could this be adjusted? Is that a challenge when you're working on established material, but material that you may have no idea of any past production? You, you've got to, you know, be true to the authors. And, and so I think in, in garnering the rights to the show, um, there isn't much leeway as far as changing you know, you can adapt uh, uh, an acting moment or a motivation within the framework of, of what you're doing, but you're you're not going to change text. And you know, and unfortunately, in a situation like this, it it was um, you know they they struggled so much. I mean, I couldn't agree more with what Kelly was saying before about the the heroine that was being written by men and who really did not understand the underpinnings of what was going on. And if I may be so bold as to say, you know, one of the other things that was, uh, you know, and it has been documented and written about was there was uh, problems with alcohol uh, between Rogers and, and et cetera. And you're writing a character that is, that has this alcoholic uh, Achilles heel at the same time time who is dealing with her own insecurities and now you throw into the mix you've got tremendous egos and when i say alcoholism that you know that also from what i you know saw on my in my exploits in new york etc and not to to cast aspersion on anybody but john dexter also was a drinker so it is it is it is a recipe for difficulty now you're trying to take it and reinvent the wheel um, when you're doing subsequent productions. It's, that goes back to what I said before, the casting is so, so key because you have to cast, you know, and it, it is the burden of it falls on Leona and the actress's shoulder to carry this very complex female character who in many ways is written to not be likable. And, and yet you, the audience has to fall in love with her. And, and you know, Rossi has to fall in love with her. Renato has to fall in love with her. You know, and you see her through his eyes as well until it crumbles for them at the end because he is citing the fact that he is seeing these imperfections in her. And it's also he's wounded by, by the rejection that he feels toward the end of the piece as well. Right. Complex, very complex. Someone drew plans like a set for a stage. Someone spilled colors all over the page. Then they built it, Cookie, you know why? Just so Leona could come here and cry. Kelly, did you find it frustrating as the actor interpreting the character were were you able were, was it an issue of judging the writers going guys guys you're missing this <laughs> because uh, yeah uh, um 
it was, I mean, it, yes. I mean, it was incredibly challenging just because you kept coming up against these moments that demonstrably did not work, you know? I mean, that being said, you're also dealing with a piece of, of theater that, um, that famously did not work. So um, to put it really crassly, the bar was super low. So we, you know, you could kind of do, you can kind of do what you need to do to, I mean, while still being true to the, to the piece and, um, and find a way to make that moment work. Um, and, and there are so many kind of just, um, there's, there's, it's, it's excruciating. There's so much in the score and in the script that is fantastic. And there's an equal amount that just makes you just shake your head and go, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And again, that that also, part of that burden that Kelly is addressing is falls on the shoulders of the director then. Mm -hmm. Because it's, you know, how many times have we seen pieces that have gone out in initial inception or whatever, or, you know, even gone out into, into tryout and then, you know, have been reinvented and succeeded and have had long runs. So yeah. you, you know, you, and, and when you're talking about the pedigree of the writing of all of these wonderful creative, you know, icons of the theater, when, how, how can you have, how could they have missed so, you know, so badly with the show in certain ways? Maybe it's something that they didn't see and that, you know, in our case, it was a, it was a challenge for our director, David Lee to say, let me try and reinvent this and let me get to the core of what the, the emotional core of what's going on here and see if we can flush this out in a different way. And to your well, point, you, you have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say to your point, Tony, you received Excellent reviews. I mean, and, and and you were able to show with your company and approach to it that there is a show worth performing here. You couldn't have that many incredible artists in a room creating this and end up with something that isn't worth experiencing. Yeah, I mean, we we were we were fortunate in in a, in, a, in a myriad of ways with David and also um, the the. the the set design was, uh, it was a unit set was done very uniquely. It was a beautiful design that, that, was, that was done. And so that also helped to, it set a very romantic tone, which is also a very key piece uh, of the puzzle here as well. Right. Kelly, you were saying. Um, basically, I was gonna make the same point you did. It's just that you, you know, when you, um, you, it's it's when you're coming at it again with the knowledge of you know uh, uh, of what hasn't worked in the past and as you were saying Tony getting getting a, you know that's the job of the director and everybody working collaboratively you're you can't help but end up getting a um, you know you learn from your mistakes and and you make the the, the Rubik's cube twist one more time and it mm -hmm. just gets a little bit better each time and then and then you finally hit the sweet spot and uh, there's 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 plenty of really great stuff in the script and in the show that it overcomes or that it can overcome with with smart direction and smart performances yeah i completely agree with you i'm i i unabashedly say i'm a fan of this show i'm not ashamed to to say it at all and i think that it has we've come to it, it, it we have finally met at, at, a, at a period of time when i think audiences are open to a show about this kind of subject matter and nuance and and simplicity um that it, it is kind of found its time now sherry i want to ask you in terms of you know because you're you're you you write musicals when you encounter a piece like this, what's your reaction as a book writer and a lyricist? You go, 
what is happening with this material? You you respond to it saying what? I think the the biggest question that I had in rereading the script, though I've taught this show several times and in rereading the script the most recent time was the way that the way that the uh, De Rossi character is introduced, I wondered, he sings um, his two songs bargaining. in the same scene. Yeah, Bargaining is the second song, though. He sings the big love. Someone like, someone like you. Yes. Someone like so you. it's, I and again, I haven't had the benefit of seeing a production of this where I could imagine the actors could make a lot of interest in director, could make a lot of interesting discoveries around how he, but when you listen to the recording, and I've only listened to the original cast recording, but when you listen to the recording and how powerfully that first romantic ballad comes on, it makes me inherently distrust the character. In her wanderings around Venice, uh, the girl passes a shop window. In the window, she sees a Venetian glass and likes it. She goes into the shop, looks at the glass in the shop, and meets the shop owner. Likes him, and uh, of course he likes her. Uh, he obviously cannot make overt advances to her because he doesn't know her. But he uses the glass as a device. He says to her, we, meaning the glass and I, have been waiting for you. And he sings a song called Someone Like You. someone but somehow we never had love for someone like you our chances were many but we were to Suddenly the door, wonderful surprise, wonderful and more before our eyes. We thought that surprises were over forever. suddenly back in a different place with him always being playful. And so I had the question and I talked about this with the class that I was teaching 
what do you think would would it be different if you met him first in the bargaining song and then he, had him open his heart and then you would believe that that was sincere and the class argued against that idea so they they, they felt that they felt that the introduction of the character told us what what um what kind of story that we were in so i my initial response and i'm curious to hear um what Tony and Kelly have to say about playing that scene because it's it's an incredible scene. A lot happens in there. Sure, you're 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 touching on <laughs> very key components, which is that kind of layering. I was talking before about the audience falling in love with Leona. Same thing with De Rossi as well. You've got to see you've got to see those those components of the character that that causes that attraction and and so those those little scenes and those little songs become, you know, key elements as well. It's, it's, it is, it is, if you will, almost a double seduction. It's the seduction of the, of the character actress on stage. And it's also at the same time, the, the romanticized seduction, you know, and again, in this Italian romantic setting, you know, it's the, per, you know, it's, oh, it, the dreamscape, everybody falls in love in Italy and, you know, you're surrounded by, by art as, you know, and at one time in, uh, in my dear friend, the theatrical icon, Chita Rivera, said to me, I, she said, I swear that when God was creating the earth, that he spent just a little bit more time when he was building Italy. You know, it, it is, it, it's all of that, that romanticized the artwork, the architecture, you know, it all comes into play. And so if the characters don't, don't sustain and fulfill you know that what is what is being laid out with the the journey that the audience wants to go on i will say this as well what what they they do have is in the, in the supporting characters and the other people that are there at the pensione there's where your comic relief is coming in there's where a lot of the lightness is coming in and the play and the interplay that was done as well and and you know back to your point michael too the the um uh they the this was a musical when you were having musicals that were large and big and here's this much more smaller contained you know character driven personality driven musical i mean much different than than what a lot of the bigger things that were being staged at that time well and the original production correct me if i'm wrong sherry but they did not intend to have number one a chorus no, and no dancing. Play. Well, and no dancing whatsoever until they found themselves out of town oh. and then began to reverse and stick in a chorus mm -hmm. and stick in the dancers. And now you're, you're making that cardinal rule that you're violating the concept of your show by trying to please the audience's expectations as opposed to setting new rules for them. We uh, have a, a small amount of dancing in the show in two places where it seems called for and nowhere else, nor is there any large ensemble singing except at one point where you hear sort of the noises of people strolling in the Piazza San Marco at night. <clears throat> but it's all small ensemble sounds. The largest number is for um, five voices. Six. <clears throat> oh, the party song? Yeah. All right, yes. Um, Think about the title. Uh, uh, yeah. 
you yeah. think about the title of the show because that makes a promise. You know, the title is is preparing the audience to receive the show before the audience you know, at at the point of purchase, right? You know, at the point at which they're buying the ticket or hearing about the show. And you have a show called Do I Hear a Waltz? And immediately it suggests dance. It says it's romance, but it also is a dance, and it also suggests a comic. There's a bit of a, like, is that a waltz I hear? You know, there's a bit of that. So, so I don't know. I mean, I, I find myself thinking, um, you know, we, we, we look at all these things now and we think missteps, you know, why was something that was once called summertime and then called time of the cuckoo is now called do I hear a waltz? Yeah. You know, it's like, and I think, I think it starts from jump. Like I it's think it's so Funny, you should say that I, because I, I kept as I was going back and looking at it, I kept thinking, you know what? I never really have figured out what does the time of the cuckoo mean. And start. Do any of you understand that title for a show? For the I original think, play, I want to say it's from Ecclesiastes. This is my <laughs> religious background <laughs> coming flooding in. I think it, it may have been a quote from Ecclesiastes. I, I could also be really wrong about that. Mm -hmm. My it's understanding from what I was cuckoo. researching was that it's actually talking about when a cuckoo bird, they tend to invade other people's nests, other birds' nests, and clear them out and make it make their make it their own place, which has so much to do with what the original play is about. Yes. Which then I began to go. That's what all of this means. Is they're saying that Leona, instead of coming to Venice and letting Venice wash over her and her begin to allow Venice to affect her. Instead, she arrives at the Pensioni and she starts running the show the way she sees it. She throws the party. She starts telling people where to get off. She doesn't want to go and make friends. With, she shows up alone, first of all. So she doesn't want to deal with anybody. And it began to make so much sense then as I'm going back and looking at the story and going, that is where you're getting into the psychological component of her, that she is shutting everything away. And she's in the most beautiful city in the world, as you're saying, Tony, the city you should let affect you and she won't let it affect her. She just resists it. And the only friend she has is the bottle. You know, it's an interesting thing about each one of these, the, the components of the creative team as well. I have read individually about them each wanting to sort of take a moment and get away from theater and go somewhere else into like these a different setting or how how even the show the experience of the show affected them in a in a way that they you know they felt they were being ostracized or they you know the the gelling of the creative team was not there it was a you know you can't have help but have a bit of that dynamic spill into the production, into the script, into aspects of, of what they're examining through the characters as well. Mm -hmm. There was also a break in the friendship with Arthur Lawrence and Stephen Sondheim, who had been really close yes. uh, after this project. And they had, they had had, they survived Anyone Can Whistle, which was a total flop and I think 13 performances or eight performances or something like that. This one ran for 200, but the damage to the relationship um, apparently was pretty profound. And then I think 
Tony, you were mentioning the revisiting of the piece and, and reworking of it, but I think there was a story that in 97 or something like that, Sondheim had heard a r recording. It might've it might have been, I don't, I can't remember the dates or what recording it was, but he, he had seen a version of it or heard a, a concert version of it or something and contacted yes. Lawrence and said, I think I know how this could work now. Yes. Is that what you were talking about? The absolutely, but yeah. you're absolutely on the, on the point. You know, and it, it, it goes it, again, it goes to what Kelly was saying before about there's so many pieces of it that are so wonderful. And you just go, there's got to be a way of making it all gel. Mm -hmm. I, I got a good big kick out of um, some of these uh, these interviews, these black and white interviews um, when the show had just started uh, opening. The interview you were talking about, Cheryl, but then also there's another one uh, that's Richard Rogers with, uh, he's got Elizabeth Allen and Sergio Franchi with him and they're singing, you know, things from the show and it is lovely. And, you know, Rogers with his sort of typical, you know, staid demeanor. Um, but I noticed in both interviews, they, they both Lawrence and Rogers, they, they would love to say, well, we're just terribly pleased with how it's going. Everything they were, you know, exactly. and, and Lawrence was was saying, you know, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful, wonderful working with Stephen. He's he's absolutely brilliant. It's hard to compliment him while he's sitting right here next to me. While there's this hilariously suppressed rage, and everything is just boiling beneath the surface, and you can't even. <laughs> what must those rehearsals have been like? You know, I mean, just yeah. We've done several musicals before. We work very closely, and I think marvelously together. He's uh, be easier to compliment him if he weren't sitting here, but he really is marvelous to work with. And the way we work, I do a rough outline with places where I think there should be songs, and then we discuss them what the song should be, and then he takes over. And in this case, and then he, uh, after we had worked all this out, we uh, elaborated on it with. Dick Rogers, and then they went to work. That's pretty much the way it was. Yes. And there was the uh, article. There was this early in the process. There was an art, an interview with with uh, Rogers in the Times, where he was talking about how you know Steve would send him a quatrain, and he would set the quatrain. And then within a few months, he said, "I first met Sondheim when he was a charming little boy, and now he's become a monster." You know. <laughs> So, <laughs> just like that. That's only printed in the newspaper, which which then when Sondheim was interviewed in Newsweek, I think a couple years after that, said something about uh, Hammerstein was a man with a uh, limited talent, but infinite soul. And Rogers was a man with uh, infinite talent and limited soul. <laughs> There's the public, you know, things you probably shouldn't say about your collaborators in public i guess they've passed the point of working together but i can't even and, and can you imagine what that obviously having that dynamic in the room um what it what that is doing to the cast members as well i mean because i'm sure that they were it's hard to not see and observe and be privy to to uh, some of that that behavior i mean i know also that there was when the show had opened there was chris criticism and also feelings as well from the creative team that elizabeth allen was that she didn't possess quite the warmth that they felt the character needed and that sergio franchi this romantic wonderful lead with this glorious italian voice was not enough of an actor you know and so you know already you're you're operating with your foot in a bucket I am not the dream come true 
fascinating is from a from a from a compositional standpoint they've it's like they instantly sort of hobble themselves by by requiring um this i mean you're looking for a unicorn to play this role tony there's not many of you in the world who can do that i mean singing i mean vocally it is just excruciating it is some of the hardest material it's i mean and, and Acting, I mean, not just not just in terms of the range, but like, and then bargaining. You got to be a you got to be a relevant right. patterer, you know. And then with an Italian accent, <laughs> exactly, you know. And and it's just the the and the stuff for for Leona compared to I was like I don't. It was a walk in the park vocally. It was nothing really to worry about, you know. But it's it's the strangest kind of spread compositionally speaking, you know, there's stuff that's just like, okay, well, we've fulfilled that need. We've, you know, what do we do? We fly, we need one of those. We need uh, This Week Americans. Okay, we got that one. And then yep. there's these little gems, like take the moment and even moon in my window and things like that, mm -hmm. that just, it's require a really good set of ears. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta sing harmonies, the la la la's that happen from during uh, Here We Are Again. It's, it's, um, on the surface, parts of it are, are so simple. And then all of a sudden something comes along and you go, oh, we can't do this show. I, I, I've <laughs> sung different Sondheim pieces throughout my career and going back to my high school days and 
you know, West Side Story and a funny thing happened over the forum and, you know, things that he was involved with as well. And, and you know, and um, and then even most recently, the, you know, um, uh, Assassins and and um, and then Into the Woods. Um, you know, it, it is the all of these artists The comp, you know, there's there's that throwback simplistic melodic line that could that would be there but then it's also laced with these very difficult passages or notes and and you know it's a it's a challenge it was i remember it also being a challenge because we did in the middle of a of a very hot dry summer and i had there was lots of falsetto for me as well and so it was just difficult to stay hydrated to be able to 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 hit those notes as well Tony, am I right in remembering that in your production, Sondheim decided to remove the song Bargaining? You didn't do that song, is that correct? No, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I think they, they whatever, if I'm remembering correctly, that they would only release the, 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 his, the rights uh, um, if that was removed. I, I yeah. can't recall exactly, to be honest with you, it's been a while. I, thought, yeah. I recall that. I mean, part of it was that it was one of the songs that he criticized that Rogers just sort of like plopped down and wouldn't change, but also that it was really there to Kelly's point to accentuate the, the, the potential of Sergio Franchi while by giving him this song with his incredible musical gymnastics and that kind of put him in a good way to kind of go, don't worry about his wooden acting. He can just, exactly. I say, we're going to comp, we're going to compensate with vocal pyrotechnics. Right. And yet probably, you know, many actors who followed him, I know Ron Holgate uh, was yep. an actor who had a long history with this show uh, uh, for many years in different, in different productions, um, who was a very similar kind of a, a, a performer. Signorina, when you find something you want to buy, what is the first question you ask the shopkeeper? How much, I suppose. And when he tells you how much, uh, do you pay? Right. Wrong. Hmm? You say you aren't sure. You look, uh, you handle, you wonder, you frown, you dwell on what is poor. Too big, too little, too orange, too brown. You tell him that you think you see a crack. He tells you it is just the old shellac. You say you saw a better one in Roma week before. He says that if you did, it must have cost a thousand more. You say to Rococo, he says, shall I wrap it to you? Is it real Venetian? He, I can guarantee it. Let me see some others, please. Madam, all we have are these. May I use a check to pay? Madam, anything you say. Will you mend it? We will mend it. Can you send it? We can send it. Will you, madam? Can you, madam? Is it madam? May I, madam? Let me think it over. I'll come back another day. Do you start to leave a shop? He smiles, he fusses, he opens the door. You start and then you stop. You smile, you ponder, you wonder some more. You wonder and you wait. And he, the same, whoever waits the most, will win the game. You wonder near the glasses, maybe once or maybe twice. You wait until it's closing time and then you ask the price. You say, how much is it? He says, inexpensive you. What is inexpensive he? Only 20 mil. That is 20,000, yes. But for you, I'll make it less. Will you make it uno mille? No, I'll make it dieci mila, due mila, 
here is interesting to me that I think of songs like, like um, I was thinking, you know, the, 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 that remind me a lot of twin soliloquies the, 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 from South Pacific. I keep thinking, wonder what he's thinking, not what he should. I was thinking all this heavy thinking, this is not good. But think of coffee cups clinking to a duet. Ricochet drinking, see the sunset. What are you thinking? I was just thinking what you are thinking, forget. And yet in the same show, you've got We're Gonna Be All Right, which seems to be so Sondheim-y in terms of its ideas, in terms of the way the lyrics play and collide into each other. And yet we know that Rogers insisted on him taking out the original a vision of that song, um, which I think you replay, you put back in your version, Tony. Sometimes she drinks in bed. Sometimes he's homosexual. But why be vicious? They keep it out of sight. Good show. They're going to be all right. One of the things that I found really interesting was that Sondheim's original uh, conception of the show was that Leona wouldn't sing until the end of the show. <laughs> I just love that. You're going to write a, you're going to write a musical. Wow. And this, the, the journey of the musical is that the leading lady gets to sing at the end <laughs> because she discovers her voice, which is a wonderful metaphor. But, but when you think about Sondheim's work up until this point, there's West Side Story, which is highly innovative. There's Gypsy, which you have a monster as the as the lead character. You have this incredible, you know, uh, that's again like a predecessor, right, of Leona in the sense of not your typical musical theater lady, right? Then you have Forum, which is hugely innovative because it's a farce, but it also has the score that sort of punctuates it. It's not, it's no longer an integrated musical really. And then you get to anyone can whistle, which is just crazy. I mean, it's just completely non uh, traditional. And so it must've felt strange to come back in a way to something that, that looked on the surface of it a little bit more straightforward because you have the romantic setting of Italy and you have the potential love story and you have the comic character. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like the components of it. So I can see Sondheim thinking, well, maybe if we take the tack that she doesn't sing until the end, that's our way of, that's I mean, not, not doing it purposefully just to be innovative, but that's, that's a new idea, you know? Right. Well, it sounded to me from, from what I've read about the points that, that you're making is that he was genuinely enthusiastic about that idea. And again, because Richard Rogers was the producer, 
he his recollections or his fears that that stayed with him since Allegro when he said I'll never do another concept musical was that he wanted he stayed within that tried and true he went back to it with South Pacific and, and King and I, in terms of this is the way you do a musical and we wouldn't dare do something crazy, like not have the leading lady sing. That's just too radical. His idea, his feeling was that any revolution that happened in Rogers and Hammerstein musicals were more the pushing of Oscar Hammerstein than ever of Richard Rogers, that he had a formula that he thought worked. Um, I was going to say just one other thing, which is the idea that um, she wouldn't sing until the end is a playwright idea. Like it's a Mm -hmm. German, and that's Sondheim, the dramatist, right? I mean, who's a, who's a, and I, I think that the idea that they needed a commercial success particular Lawrence and Sondheim had put some of their own money into anyone can whistle. And so part of the reason for doing this, I mean, even though ostensibly Sondheim's reason for agreeing was that Hammerstein had said in his dying days, if you could see your way clear to working with, with Dick, I would really appreciate it. Um, And Mary Rogers, Richard Rogers daughter also said, please, please could, you know, it would be, it would be so wonderful if you could work with Daddy, I think is you know how it was said to him. It was a show that didn't need to be written. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, when Oscar was dying, he said, you know, Dick is gonna be very lonely when, oh, and I'm gonna, I wish, I know you wanna write your own music, but I wish you would consider writing. I said, sure, of course. And so your grandpa sent me a few, a couple of pieces a year. And finally, he, he, he you know, uh, he and Oscar were, were contemplating doing uh, as you may know, Time of the Cuckoo, mm-hmm. uh, Arthur Lawrence, had, who wrote the play, had asked me to introduce them to it. To, to, uh, he asked me to introduce him to them and did, and he, and he proposed it to them. And Oscar said, it's a good idea, but uh, because the re- re- recent release of the movie Summertime, which was Catherine Hepburn's movie version of Time of the Cuckoo, he said, I'd like to wait five years. Mm-hmm. And Arthur said, fine. Well, within those five years, Oscar died. And so that was a thing that Dick came to me with. And because with Arthur, and I liked writing with Arthur so much, uh, I thought it would kill two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. which is not the reason to write no. a show. But but money wasn't isn't a small part of it. And especially with Rogers as a producer, you, you have to be thinking that, um, you know, both Sondheim and Lawrence could have used the money, you know? Um, so, so writing to the formula or writing enough to, uh, it's, it's inherently maybe a commercial idea, a romance in Italy, you know? And writing to the formula may, may not be a, something that you would want to avoid. It's amazing that this romantic, potentially romantic, wonderful, smaller musical was such a fracturing point and a, and a it led to all of these artists like going I mean, from the case of Sondheim saying, I'm never, I don't, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to write my own shows. I'm going to do them the way I want to do them. I'm not going to be just a lyricist. I'm going to, I mean, it was, it was, you know, and so I mean, I guess one of the blessings of this show is that it launched them into other, other potential stratospheres and looking at, you know, deeper, darker work. And, you know, as we both know with the likes of passion and Sweeney Todd in the case of, 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 Sondheim, where he's exploring the darker side of, of characters, you know, 
Yeah. It's just yeah. amazing that what, from that standpoint, what this, you know, what the, this served to be the, the you know, the, the, uh, the germ of, of a, of a, of a shift in career. Right. Right. And yet this show is filled with great music and it great is. moments as Kelly pointed out. Um, and certainly the song, do I hear a waltz is one that Sondheim has repeatedly included in terms of retrospectives of his work. He does have moments within the show that maybe he reluctantly uh, remembers as being that he has a fondness for and take the moment. My God, it's a great song. I mean, Kelly and, and, and Tony, do you, are there particular moments within the show that were those kinds of songs or scenes that you recall going that I, I enjoy doing this one. This is, this is a fun number or this is a number, you know, that I really, that makes this worthwhile. Take the moment is, I mean, it is, it's a beautiful song to sing difficult in, 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 in where it travels uh, musically with the, with the higher notes, but it's just, it's a lovely, you know, piece and would get and would get a wonderful sort of like, uh, you know, that it's that ah moment mm -hmm. in, in the musical where the audience relax and sees the romantic side of it all. Take a moment, make a moment, many moments more. Make for us a And again, to me, in some way, is a relative of some enchanted evening in that, you know, mm -hmm. you, you definitely see the relationship between those two men and that kind of song, that unabashedly romantic, take a chance, grab love. Song Absolutely. And written with that through romantic line, those romantic, you know, melodic swelling underscore as well. Um, you know, very, very Rogers in, 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 his, in his perception, the way he wrote. The play was done originally a number of years ago. It was Arthur Lawrence's play, as I said. And uh, it happens to subscribe to certain things that I like very much. It's extraordinarily romantic, which I like. It's about love, which I like. And uh, it has a foreign setting. It's in Italy. And Italy is very romantic and loving in itself. And it just seemed an awfully pleasant thing to spend a year of work on. Kelly, how about you? Um, there's actually several. There's, there's, I mean, for just, uh, you know, uh, self-indulgently, I, I really liked singing Moon in, the, in my window just because it's like, it's like a moment of just like, three women singing in, in crunchy harmony and I was like, and the, mus the musician in me just geeked sure. out on that hardcore. Moon in my window, make the lovers smile. Let them have their dreamings for a little while. Glow, pass by the The songs that I got the biggest enjoyment out of are the ones that are so 
they're so clearly trying to burst into full-fledged Sondheimness. Um, things like, um, oh gosh, and I can't think of the name of it now. It's at the end of the show when um, they're a perfectly lovely couple. It's just, it's like plucked out of merrily. It's, it's really got that feel to it. Um, the song Everybody Loves Leona is not a particularly, I mean, the tune, I, I, I kind of had forgotten it. I had to play it for myself, go, how does this go? You know, um, it's, it's kind of a throwaway tune, but it, it's, it's also, it's like, it's um, Ladies Who Lunch 1.0. You know, it's it's just the kind of drunken ranting sort of if it if it had if if it had, had more of a if it had, had a composer behind it who 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 gave a bleep in that moment, you right. know, who hadn't just finished the song and set it aside and said, write the lyric, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> versions of do I hear a waltz yeah um you know and I like that I like the one that they ended up not doing they're they're kind of the opposite of each other um you know the the the, the one that's in the show you know it tends to go down and live on the low notes uh, there's a well. very pretty um alternate version that just kind of does the opposite and goes up and they're they're both quite lovely and that's actually I like that one better. yeah so the romantic wonderful I mean for for Rossi you know take the moment uh, obviously, but stay is also yeah. another beautiful, um, you know, one. And, 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 you know, the thinking, thinking also was, you know, that playfulness that was in that song as well. Um, you know, very, very, very sweet, right. lovely melodic line. Yes. The, the, uh, the we're going to be all right thing when I, and I think it's very instructive and you can, you can hear the original version that they ended up with if you listen to the original cast album. And then on Tony's cast album, they have the one that Sondheim intended. And that is the one that mostly gets included in, in reviews like Side by Side by Sondheim or, or, mm -hmm. or some of the other shows. Um, and it was definitely Richard Rogers who had said, we're not gonna do that. And th there's an, because it's a song about a couple in in this case, uh, the Jaegers, Jennifer and um, uh, uh, what's, what's Eddie, 
Eddie, yes. Um, you know, two beautiful young people, Americans, but living in Rome and vacationing in Venice. But the relationship is clearly crumbling early in the marriage. Mm -hmm. And them kind of being very, um, again, sort of it, it, like Kelly, like you're saying, a bit like it's almost hearkening to company of a young couple going, you know what, we can work this out. You go take a lover, I'll take a lover. Maybe they'll right. be the opposite sex and Sondheim sneaks in, maybe it'll, it'll be the same sex. And that is the element where Richard Rogers says, no, you know, because I guess from what I'm understanding, he was very homophobic and, and almost paranoid that Sondheim and Lawrence and other members of the team he thought were literally conspiring against him and there being gay men was even further problematic, more problematic for him. Um, but being the producer, he could say what the show would and would not be. And I'm sure as producer, you're saying to your, yourself, what components am I going to put in here so that I'm appealing to a broad audience? And it goes back to what, what Sherry was saying about wearing all these multiple hats. You, you, it forces you to think about a piece in a way that is commercial theater versus what is best for the piece and may lead us to commercial success. Right. Well, and one of the things, my understanding is that Sondheim, the re one of the reasons he said he would work with Lorenz on this was because Lorenz was not going to direct it, which he did direct Anyone Can Whistle, which Sondheim always attributed to one of the biggest problems with the show, right? I mean, Sherry, am I remembering that? Yes, right? it, it, it was the whole the whole company because they didn't they didn't have uh, they didn't have a, a separate set of eyes to be able to facilitate, especially when they were out of town, um, which led to the famous fist fight in Schubert Alley eventually <laughs> between the producer and and uh, Arthur Lawrence. But but uh, but yeah, you don't you, you don't you need you need you need the abrasion of collaboration. So you need the um, idea abrasion, but you also need to be unified in your vision for what it is that you're creating together. And if you um, have, are wearing multiple hats, maybe you don't see as clearly as you need to see. I don't know. Or maybe it's a power, maybe, maybe it's as simple as a power dynamic in some of these scenarios, you know, and, and maybe that's part of the, Maybe that's part of what was happening for Rogers as he maybe felt the loss of control either around the drinking or mm -hmm. in his age being concerned about whether he still had it. And yet this seems to be one of those shows that almost haunts a little bit. You, I think that's why there's been surprisingly so many revivals of people seeing that there is something here. And for Kelly, for you having done Light in the Piazza, there was sort of talk when that show was happening, being that it was written by Richard Rogers' grandson, that that was his crack at trying to get this show right. Did you feel that there were similarities between Light in the Piazza and Do I Hear a Waltz when you- Oh, absolutely. It would have been interesting to do them the opposite way around because I did Piazza first. Um, and, yeah, there's, I mean, when I, like I said, when I first heard Do I Hear a Waltz, I like the first 30 seconds of it is just chimes and, you know, gondola sounds. And the first, you know, 30 to 60 seconds of Piazza is strings, harp, harp right? 
And it's just, uh, it's so instantaneously evocative. You know where you are, you know what's gonna happen. Um, and it's just, it's the, you had the same sort of very intimate, romantic um, um, subject matter, flawed people doing flawed things, but, um, you know, more unified vision and just, and just, I mean, better, better um, um, source material. Um, mm -hmm. And people who, and people who were really dedicated to making it work. It just, it just, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really glad I did them both because they are so clearly connected to each other. You know, like um, Eddie and um, Jennifer are like, um, oh, Franca and Giuseppe. You know, the, the, it's just this, there's all these parallels and it's, it's adorable. Mm -hmm. And the theme of romance, you know, and the, the uh, later in life romance, um, you know, paralleling uh, the journey that, well, it's not Clara, who's the mother in oh, Piazza? Margaret. Margaret in Piazza is having that sort of questioning about, about romance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that same wonderful Italian setting too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's light. Well, it's, it's irresistible. It's it's and again, it goes back to Richard Rogers that that he was interested in the exotic of of transporting you to an exotic environment and then what might happen within that world of whether it was Siam or whether it's the South Pacific or even um, you know to get into your imagine or or. or Chinatown in, in in San Francisco with you know he just he liked that it sounds like that that I, made sense to him I got a giggle out of the interview with uh, Arthur Lawrence because he said that he went to um, to uh, Venice for four days and came home and wrote the play and you know he felt like he had absorbed everything he needed to know about Venice in those four days like he's like done I got it no, you know, I, I understand the Italian mindset. I understand the world. And it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of hilarious, the hubris of like, no, I know exactly what we're dealing with here. <laughs> yeah. You know, we are, you, you are, this is, this is all in my mind palace. Here it is for you. This is where you will now live. This is what Italy is. My drawing in crayon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe, and that's just it. Maybe he was the cuckoo, you know, he went there and he's going to see it all through. We're going to see Venice through. That's the child. You know, I, I put this on the table. What would have happened if Leona had decided to stay and mm -hmm. De Rossi had decided, you know, yes, we're flawed, but, you know, there's something there. Yeah. And let us stay together. Mm -hmm. But the creative team decided, no, they split. I, I wonder, mean, though, I wonder if it didn't. You know, that romantic ending, is it too romantic? Is it, you know? Was it an American thing though, that in the 1950s, that, that they just would not have settled for uh, an American woman having an open relationship with a married man in a, in a very normalized way, which is ultimately the core of his reality, is to say in Italy, it's different. My wife, you know, is alive and well, but we just don't, get along and I can't divorce her. And this is what we do. Um, 
We, we don't what we don't hear. And it's a very point that you're going toward, Michael, is is that which is very much a part of Italy is Catholicism and religion and the and the and the hold that that also has on people and how it makes it plays into decisions that are made as well. And and your point about is it too dangerous to to you know uh, subject matter, especially at the time when it was first done, to present this and you know in front of an audience. I mean, it's obviously it's not uh, you know bill of fare for necessarily for entire family or for children. You know, much more sophisticated topics and subject matter. And and so you just wonder as well if it didn't come to, into play where they were tra- you know traversing down a path that you're again you've got you've got creator who is also producer going where are we going with this and how are we going to reach a broader audience right and a very conservative producer at that you know there's a quote that I that I came up with when I was teaching this from Sondheim that I just would love to share. Um, and it's we, we talked about this, I think, a little bit ago, but Mary Rogers calling this a why musical. Mm-hmm. Um, the theater is full, this is song time. The theater is full of them. You take a successful property, add songs to it and put it on the stage. The reason Waltz flopped is that it had no real energy, no excitement whatsoever. That's because it need not have been done. This is this is the quote I was hoping to share. When you see Hello, Dolly, no matter what you think of it, there's a feeling that the people who put it on really loved it a lot. You never got that feeling with Waltz. It was a workmanlike professional show, period, and it deserved to fail. Mm. I, go, I go again to what I was saying before about it compared Dolly Levi versus Leona. And you have, and compare that hello Dolly number with the dancing waiters when you have this restricted company as well. You know, you're operating on, on two different levels. And it, it, again, what that's again goes to the key component of you've got a, a, the burden that falls on the actress that is playing Leona to make the audience fall in love with her despite you know, not having those pinnacle moments, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and it, it's, it's, it's a very difficult journey. It's operating on a different, the waltz is operating on a different level, a much more, um, you know, stayed um, intellectual uh, in certain ways level. It, it, and it's it, it really, I, I really wonder if for all of them, if it wasn't um, an experiment in, in, exa- in self-examination mm-hmm. about their own relationships and success and failures in relationships and what happened, happened to the dynamic of the relationships as well. Yeah. Well, and that's why it ends up being a show that we keep coming back to and talking and we can sit here and talk for an hour about this show. Mm-hmm.
Good evening. Good evening. As we wrap it up, I like to um, just throw this out there to uh, if you if you came upon someone who was let you know that they're about to go see a production of Do I Hear a Waltz for the first time. They don't know what this is, but they're going to go see it. And, you know, it's a good production of the show. What's your reaction to them? What would you tell them? Oh, here's what you're going to experience with this production that you're about to see. Sherry? I, my first thought was to tell them to have a nice Italian dinner before they go <laughs> in their favorite yeah. and in, lots of wine. Yeah. And then in their favorite, just, you know, be along for the ride. And I have to say, when you go to see, when you sit in the audiences of a lot of traditional musicals, I, I, I get so touched around this because there's nearly always that moment when you have, when there are couples sitting where uh, the somebody will take somebody's hand during a song, and you'll find those even in this story, where there are um, no there are no easy answers, and it doesn't perhaps resolve in the way that one would have resolved it if one was looking for a highly commercial happy ending kind of situation. But there are those moments of at the core of the show, it's about love. So have a nice meal. <laughs> and go see a show about love. Mm -hmm. Kelly? Um, it's a hard question. Um, I always, I always uh, try and, you know, if I know somebody's going to see a show, it depends on who that person is, if mm -hmm. they're, uh, you know, if they're a musical person or not. Um, I'm not sure if it, if it was a, if it was a, a person I know who is not a musical person, I very frankly would say, you might want to skip this one. You know, I, 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 it's just, you know, it, and it's all about, it's, it's all about expectations. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it was in the sixties when they made it. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's why it got, it ended up in the, in, in its final form. Um, but that being said, um, I would say, I would say, just know that this is not your typical musical that this is not going to be what you're expecting, but that if you go along for the ride, you will absolutely enjoy the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tony? I echo what Kelly said. You, Michael, you posed a very difficult question mm -hmm. to us. And I would say this to them. I would say, go and have that Italian meal beforehand with a nice bottle of wine. Go see the show. I'm not going to tell you too much about it. And let's have a conversation afterward. Mm -hmm. And what I would say, and I would, the question that I would ask them after seeing it is, do you wish that Renato and Leona had found a way to remain a couple? Mm. That would be the question that I would pose to them. That's a great question. Thank you so much. This is, this was such a great show to dig into and it's one that you can just keep peeling and peeling and peeling yeah. and all i feel left with right now is i want to go have an italian dinner <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> put the water on the spaghetti and meatballs there you go there you go thank you so much my friends i appreciate it thank you pleasure 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 thank Bye. you have a great night everybody